Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you guys for joining me again. Um, with me today, uh, I have uh, someone who basically needs no introduction if you live anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but he is a, uh, someone I have known a great long time. Uh, I've followed even longer and uh, who just really revels and shares in uh, the geekiness and the nerdiness that this podcast is is all about. And so uh, I would like to, without any kind of uh, preamble or anything else like that, welcome uh, BJ Shea. Thank you, Say. Appreciate being here. All right. Or appreciate me being here, too, now that I think about it. I appreciate us both being here. <laughs> being here, but being separate, you know, the whole quarantine. Exactly. I decided uh, a few weeks ago when I was going to be doing this podcast again, it's really hard to have these face-to-face conversations uh, remotely. And so uh, it's real easy to get mired down in the negativity. And I mean, there's a lot of of crazy crap going on in the world right now, but uh, I decided to kind of focus on positivity again and just kind of really try and find topics that are um, enthusiastic and positive and, and helpful to people as opposed to just being another negative in the world. So, uh, yeah, I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, BJ, uh, for those of you who may not know, BJ has been a radio DJ since was it 1999? Well here. Yeah. So I've been doing, yeah. doing it for a few more years than that though. But yeah, but I've been, I've been in the uh, Puget Sound for, uh, since 1999, 20th anniversary last year we celebrated. Right. I, and I've not to brag or boast or anything, but I've been following you the entire time from back at the buzz when you were filling in for Kennedy. Oh, that's back way back in the day. Yeah. And then, and then with Tom Likas and all the other uh, radio yeah. hosts back on the buzz. And I mean, so I've been following you a long time. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a dyed in the wool H hole myself. So nice. Um, but uh, I, I really, uh, one of the things that I, I admire about you is you kind of got this, unbridled passion for I mean anything geeky I mean so kind of what I want to ask what I ask my guests usually before uh, we really kick into things is kind of what is it that fuels your fandom what is it you're passionate about like give me a few examples of the kind of things that you're into oh gosh uh well started with it it definitely started with geeky stuff space you know science fiction and sports growing up in the boston area so it always it had to be sports really baseball is is something i'm passionate about but science fiction a little bit of fantasy in there i'll take that if it works out well um but mostly i'm a sci-fi guy if you if you've got a sci-fi themed anything even if it's not that great i'll play it um also, uh, lately into self-awareness, pretty geeky about uh, self-exploration, and that sort of goes hand-in-hand hand with a, an American style. Usually the therapeutic endeavor goes down that way, but then in Eastern philosophy, there's the, the idea of just exploring one's thoughts, and they kind of are actually uh, coming together, which I didn't know at the time when I started one path and then seeing the other path that my wife was on. So I'm into that. I really like knowing my own mind uh, from the behavioral science standpoint, and I love how it's somehow meeting my wife, who's a lot more spiritual Eastern philosophy. And we both were looking at each other after 35 years of marriage going, wait a minute, your books over there are saying kind of what my books are saying. And I'm like, yeah, you know, your chocolate's in my peanut butter. Okay, this can work. The Reese cup of awareness. I'll take it. Right. And then so, that's kind of cool how those things can kind of align like that. Yeah. Uh, especially... 
I, in my life, I've had a lot of rage against the machine moments. Uh, being a geek and uh, growing up as a kid in the 60s, uh, it was tough, even though the space program and landing on the moon really helped. But for every Lost in Space and for every Star Trek show there was, there was a, it seemed like there were just hundreds and hundreds of Westerns or detective dramas. And it just wasn't me. And I didn't feel like I was represented. Uh, comic books, I forgot about that. Yes, no doubt about it. Comic books too, because I was, I was raised on the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and you know, make my Marvel Excelsior. So yeah. How could I forget that? That's bad. Must be the old age. Yeah. So <laughs> those, yeah, those are, I would say those are the things that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about for my fandom because I still read comics. I still love my sci-fi TV and movies. And, um, and did I mention board gaming at all? Gosh, if I didn't do that, that's really bad because I'm into that too. Wow. You know what? Maybe I don't know what I'm passionate about. I need to rethink this whole thing. I think the fact that you're passionate about so many things speaks volumes to the amount of, uh, of just widespread nerdery that you kind of hold dear so which which is kind of the motto of the show now i mean i like to think of myself as kind of a renaissance man as far as uh what i'm into i'm into video gaming and board gaming not so much board gaming as you are but uh sci-fi and 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 comic books and things like that and so i think the board i think the board gaming came because i just couldn't play video games anymore i got to an age where i wasn't able to figure out those playstation and xbox controllers it was frustrating as all hell because i was a pc gamer and an early adopter with atari and in television uh, and some nintendo but i could not figure out the controllers for xbox and so i was a, I, I was a bystander i would watch my son play halo and go god that's a cool game and i have can't I cannot I cannot get past five steps without getting killed um <laughs> but I used to be a big PC gamer and then the board gaming well I guess I seem to have aged into it uh as as the uh as the hobby has also become more complex to accommodate maybe people like me that used to play video games and they wanted to capture our imagination because Monopoly and life just wasn't going to do it so they had to step it up and boy they have stepped it up thanks to Kickstarter and literally Sandy Peterson and his Cthulhu Wars and hyperspace and his ridiculous, and I call it ridiculous in a good way, ridiculously overproduced games, but they're beautifully done and they take all my money. Um, but yeah, but I used to be a video gamer too until I really couldn't figure it out anymore. <laughs> I kind of find myself falling into that trap now as well. I mean, I still play uh, PlayStation and Xbox and, I'm looking forward very much to the next uh, generational cycle of the video game systems, but um, they don't hold nearly the candle to me as things like going back and playing the old Nintendo or Sega or uh, I've got all of the Atari systems. I have something like uh, 80 systems all told if you count all the handhelds and everything else. Uh, don't tell my son. He's very mad at me that I used to make him trade them in to get the newest one. I thought I was doing a good teachable parent moment having him pass it down to his sister or trading them in for some sort of value. And now they're worth so much more. And he gives me that eye. Like I did that. Too, and I trade, I ended up trading a whole lot of, of, of my games and everything in. And I did a lot of what you said, just trading it up and, and moving into the next system and only having room for one. And then what happened was, is uh, I want to say like five, six years ago, I quit smoking. And oh, so that Good job. <laughs> thanks. It put a considerable chunk of change back in my pocket. 
and we've got this uh, now you're familiar uh, a little bit with the Olympia area I know you know uh, Gabby mm-hmm. and Eric oh yeah Gabby and Eric are awesome people yeah. so cool I just had Eric on the podcast uh, about a month ago right before the quarantine thing hit so um, I love talking to those guys but uh, there's uh, uh, another shop in town here I'm not sure if you're familiar with it it's called uh, the toy box uh, I don't know the toy box yeah Oh my God. It's run by a really cool guy. Uh, he's a good friend of mine named Ryan. And, uh, when I first discovered that store, it was like walking into like a garage of just my childhood memories, uh, He-Man and GI Joe and Thunder. Oh yeah. Video games all over the walls. And, and it was like stepping into a, a portal, taking me back to my childhood. And so I started funneling all of the, uh, tobacco money, uh, into retro video gaming, and uh, I'm, I'm lucky I have a very <laughs> forgiving wife who uh, has put up with all of that. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Boy, they're they're they're, they're good people. Those forgiving wives. Hmm. Now, um, let's see. Uh, I wanted to kind of discuss with you now. One of the things that I really um, enjoy about you, and 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 I know it's not necessarily on uh, the geek topic, but. Uh, just kind of that speaks volumes to the the character of of you, because, I mean, you are the subject of the interview. We've turned the tables and turned the interviewee into the interviewer, interviewer into the interviewee. And yes, I, you know what? I didn't realize that when I booked this. Oh, (laughs) trapped. I can't get out. But uh, yeah, you're trapped in the box now. Uh, You do a lot of um, mental health uh, awareness. through KISW and, and uh, uh, I've, I've listened to quite a few of those. And uh, as someone who uh, has, I mean, we all have occasional bouts of, of negative mental health and uh, especially in the environment in the world that we live in right now, it's really easy to fall into a depression and an anxiety trap. And um, it's really easy to fall into that. And I just um, wanted to talk with you a little bit about uh, uh, how do you how did you come into the idea of doing mental health awareness and and what really pushed you onto that? Well, uh, probably what pushed me onto it was all my friends that said, "Buddy, you need to see somebody." Uh, and it was long before I got here. Uh, it's an interesting thing. What's what some therapists believe is that if you don't want to be in therapy, they're not even going to try to get you in therapy. Like they'll have a session, they'll sit down with you, they'll listen to you, and they'll go. Yeah, he didn't want to do this. And so then they won't have you do it. It's super voluntary. And a lot of therapists think it has to be voluntary or it doesn't work anyway. It's much Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times when there's a recovery program or sometimes in prisons, they have to do it, whether they want to or not. Um, and it's an interesting concept, forced therapy because some people just don't believe in it. Uh, they think that, you know, you have to want to. And for the longest time, I thought I was going to therapists and getting a clean bill of health. Like, I'm fine. But what they probably thought was this guy is not open to really exploring his own, his own mind, his own self. Uh, so I would say the patience of my wife, the patience of my agent, uh, those two were really the ones that said, you need to go talk to somebody because what you think is true is not true. And that that was, it was finally explained to me in a way, and I also had to try out a lot of different therapists because it's, it's surely not a one-size-fits-all. And there are many different people who have philosophies of how to therapize somebody. And like anything in life, 
you've got levels of quality of, I guess, caregivers and practitioners. Um, and I happened to find a therapist that really got that I wasn't somebody that you would be able to tell you need help. And I think that was the key. The key was is that everybody was telling me I, need, I needed help. And I'm like, I don't need any help. The problem is you and them and everything going on outside of me. And the one therapist I finally hit didn't tell me there was anything wrong with me when I sat down with him. He said, wow, that sounds horrible, all that stuff happening to you. God, how, how do you live with that? And nobody ever asked me that. And so what I didn't know was that he already knew that I had stuff going on. Right. But he knew that I wasn't in a place to be able to hear it. It's, you know, it's, it's like, it's one thing if you go and you, if you got a broken arm, you go, hey, you got a broken arm, you should really get that fixed. Okay, I can see that. I need to get that fixed. Having a broken mind is not so easily seen. And you, like, I can't, you can't figure things out when your mind is broken. It's, it just can't see that. Right. Um, and broken might be a really bad analogy, but it was the best one I had uh, in this moment. But the idea was, is that he had to get me to a place where I could be reasonable. Because in an unreasonable state, there was no way I'd be able to listen to reason. Otherwise, I'd be reasonable. And that's what a lot of therapists might try to do and a lot of friends try to do. Well, don't you understand you shouldn't be afraid of that? Or don't you understand this is not real? And I was like, no, I'm like Don Quixote. I'm thinking there's windmills attacking me. I, don't, I really believe there are windmills attacking me. And this one therapist said, if it's true or not, if you believe it, then you are experiencing the trauma of being attacked, whether or not you're being attacked. Right. And he says, in that point, a person who's truly being attacked and a person who thinks they're being attacked, they're traumatized the same if, they believe, if in fact, the second person really believes it. So he's like, how do you treat somebody who's been attacked? You don't tell them they were wrong for being attacked. I mean, you give them care, you heal them. And that's what he did with me. And then all of a sudden I became a student of the game. When it, when it started working and I realized, oh, I then, I, I said, you know what? I want to learn more. I, and, and so our therapy sessions after many decades, uh, many years, a couple decades, started more like me saying, let me ask you something. Let me tap your brain as opposed to, hey, um, fix me. Right. Um, and the other thing is, is that sometimes people will go to therapy in crisis situations and the therapist will help. But then I remember when I was out of crisis and thought, well, this is great. Thanks. He's like, oh, no, no. Now we're going to start to do that's the just, real work. That's just the beginning. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, what do you mean the real work? I thought we had to fix the crisis. He goes, yeah, we, now we got you in a reasonable place. Now let's go and find out yeah, how these crises are happening. Mm -hmm. And boy, that was another nice rabbit hole to go down. But I really liked, you know, I really, I've always been someone that was curious about what I was told as a child that were rules mm -hmm. and then realizing that mankind has so many different mores and philosophies and interpretations and filters they look through that hard and fast rules on how to be a human really do not fit everybody, especially what it was at three, 3 billion people on the planet. That's 3 billion different viewpoints. I mean, and they're all different, which is that by design, they're supposed to be different. So I was like, I need to look into the truth of the truth. Because some people believe, oh, I know the truth. And it's like, do you? Do I? Uh, and so this uh, woman, Byron Katie, came up with a, an amazing cognitive behavioral therapy process 
And I say it's amazing because she never took a stitch of any kind of classes. She never went to college for this. She just had a pretty big breakdown. And in that breakdown moment, came up with this idea of how to manage yourself. And, and cognitive behavioral therapists are like, you've never, ever had a stitch of psychology, psychiatry courses ever. Says, nope. I'm just a 46-year-old woman. And I came up with these four questions, and they seem to work. And darn, they're like, yeah, they do. We wish we we've been trying to get a concise pattern, you know, process for people that we could just hand them, and they could start sort of getting into this idea of being able to change their viewpoints and philosophies, and that way have a different interactive experience with with the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that story because I'm like, wow, who, the, the, if she so you were just, a, it, yeah, yeah, and she's made a, an entire business on this. Uh, she's in her seventies now, and the cool thing about her is people will pay lots of money to go be in her presence, take her courses, be in her classes. But I remember she said, everything that I do, it's on my website and it's free. And I laugh because I've been to seminars and I'm like, really, it's free, but people are paying you hundreds, thousands of dollars to go do your seminars. How can you tell me everything I need is on your website? And I will tell you, I, just because I'm a curious man, I said, all right, I will go to your one day class. I'm gonna go to your week long therapy thing. I'm going to see if what you're saying is true because a lot of these seminars are more like, hey, come on, get more, get more, get more if you pay more. And you realize there's the secret sauce is more just the emperor's new clothes. Mm -hmm. She was the real deal. All we ever did was what was on her website was for free. Now, granted, she provided great meals and a great lodging. And I got to do an immersive program where because I was there all day, all night for seven days or whatever. But all we did, what was on her website which she gives away for free. You don't even have to sign up with an email address. You can just go to the website, print out the copy of the questions and the worksheet, and that is all we did. And I'm like, what? She's giving this away and people are still paying her anyway. That's amazing. She's created a business, and yet the formula she willingly puts up up there and says, here's the formula. And I went, and I have to tell you, all the things I went to, yeah, we're doing the formula that she gives away for free. My brain broke then. I'm like, how are you making money? Why would it's, and yet, you know, it was cool to do what I did and yet it is free. And I love that. And of course I'm here in the Pacific Northwest with behavioral sciences and it's one of the best places in the world. Got one of the greatest brain scientists out there in Dr. John Medina. And of course, couples counselors with the Gottmans. It's just the best thing that ever happened to me was coming here and working and then being exposed to, I think the behavioral science mecca of the world, but at least say the of the country anyway. Um, yeah, as you can tell, I'm pretty passionate about it too. <laughs> well, we're all about passion, and and actually, yeah, it's it's been interesting because as someone who has followed you for over 20 years now, uh, which makes me feel really old just saying that. Yeah. <laughs> but as someone who's followed you uh, the course of your career since you've been in the Pacific Northwest. The, uh, the nature of your show, of course, has changed uh, from uh, the buzz to, to now. And uh, whereas it used to be a lot of uh, shock jock kind of antics like Tom Likas and, and very uh, uh, relationship focused and very kind of edgy and, 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 and you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, well yeah, because I yeah I did I lived it, so I do right. And, and uh, yeah, you can you can kind of see the shift in in character as as you said as you've been through all of these courses and as you've um, uh, worked on your mental health and and everything like that. Uh, I don't want to say your views have sharp of uh, uh, softened or anything like that because 
you're still very much the same guy that, you know, I knew back then or have known of since then. But uh, you're much, your worldview is kind of a lot more open and, and, and you're, you're very much I'm trying to think of how to say this without sounding like a dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're more accessible. Ah, if that if that makes any sense. That's a nice thing. Thank uh, you. I, I I like that as a compliment because yeah, I surely wasn't very accessible a lot in my life. That's a fact. So yeah, you well, you saying the truth uh, doesn't make you a dick. It's true. I was massively inaccessible and deluded to that fact. That that's the sad thing. I don't know if it's the sad thing because I know it now. But I really, if you told me that I was inaccessible, I would have said you're crazy. But in reality, it was 100 percent true. Right. I had I had no idea. I was inaccessible. I really had no idea. Part of it was, you know, being from Boston, I might've been a little more, more accessible because of the culture growing up there. I, mm -hmm. I tell everybody when they meet me from uh, places like the Pacific Northwest or even, or even if you travel to Hawaii where people are a lot more reasonable and a lot less yelly and, and screamy. Uh, but I always tell people, I go, you know, if you're a sci-fi fan, everybody loves the Klingons until you actually meet one. Uh, and I look at Bostonians as the Klingons of America. Uh, Anymore, I'm more the same way with Ferengi. <laughs> We've got yeah. a lot more Ferengi in our midst these days. Yeah, well, that, and that's what I love about sci-fi is that you really can see uh, world cultures represented, you know, in, in, though they put, they put them in makeup, so you go, oh, that's not us. It's like, are you sure? Mm. Uh, <laughs> and I think really the Northeast are the Klingons of our country. And, uh, and, and, and that's, I can speak to that because I proudly wear that on my shoulder. We're always looking for a fight, especially in Boston. I mean, we're descendants of revolutionaries and that really hasn't left, yeah. uh, that, that culture, so, at least for the, the, the natives. Uh, and you know, wherever you're from, if you really look at like, okay, where, what, what are we built on? What are the what were the people like a hundred, 200, 300 years ago? Is that still in me in some way, shape or form? Um, and so for me, yeah, I, I might be more accessible to, in the Boston area, but not really. I still can remember that I was very inaccessible and uh, downright caustic, even for Bostonians. Well, the cool thing about that, though, is, is because over time, I feel like we've gotten to see more of the real you because you don't have that edge to you anymore. And you're able to embrace things like, uh, like sci-fi and, and, and because since uh, the nerd culture has become so prevalent in the media, um, it's okay to be a Trekkie. It's okay to be into Doctor Who and into Star Wars and in, uh, Babylon 5 and all this, the sci-fi shows. It's okay to be uh, passionate about what used to be nerdy things, D&D. I mean, D&D, &D, just look at all the really popular and famous people right now that are huge into D&D. &D. Uh, uh, you got well, Henry Cavill. Yeah, Henry Cavill, yes, that's right. He's on, he's on uh, Instagram during this whole lockdown painting miniatures. Uh, you got people Which is like, really, I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, he does a, I can't yeah. do that. My hand won't hold still for long enough. It's the, old, it's the old school model painting. I mean, people used to laugh at us making models and painting our models, but that's exactly, you know, what, what the Warhammer world or even painting any kind of minis now. I mean, more games come out with minis uh, mm -hmm. thanks to Warhammer and that, and, and, the, and that tabletop miniature battle system that's out there, which, whichever one you're using. And, uh, and now lots of just regular board games go, 
here's your minis. And <laughs> I, uh, I have a game that's a space game that, you know, you don't really need to paint all the ships and they only give you six sets of ships, but there are 17 factions and I needed to have a painted ship for every faction. So I bought three copies of the game because I'm crazy. Oh God. Um, <laughs> And I had a friend of mine paint them because she's really good. And uh, But that just adds to the tactile, wonderful experience of the game. It's like, oh, my gosh, hey, my ship, my, 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 my aliens have a particular color scheme. And the ships match that color scheme rather than just plain blue or plain yellow. Right. Um, yeah. It, it, it so immersifies you in it, which is really cool. And you're right. And so many more people are doing it now. Uh, I, and I don't know who paved the way for that. I, I'd like to think that. You know, my generation and even the ones became before me where it was not cool to be a geek, but we stood up and said, I don't care. We're going to say something. I think that's why Stan Lee is so loved because he was in an industry that people laughed at. I, it, I don't even I don't even know what anybody thought of him. Maybe his father-in-law and mother-in-law. I have no idea what they thought of him when he's like, well, here's what I do for a living. I write comic books and long before Marvel was Marvel. Right. Um, he used to write the old I, romance books and the old yeah. uh, Western books. Yeah, they were comic books were considered just were just considered trash. And uh, I know that even when I was in college and the fights I would have with my college professor in England, with the literary professor, as I tried to tell him that I felt that the Joker and Batman were the best uh, protagonist antagonist combo in the history of literature, and he laughed me out of the the room. And well. Now we see where we're at today. American Mythos is what they are. That's the fancy name for our superheroes. American Mythos, right up there with Shakespeare. Which yeah, it, it definitely gives us a more accessible viewpoint of uh, standard tropes. It, it, it enables us to examine uh, maybe something that uh, was examined in Shakespeare or uh, the like back in the day, the old uh, uh, Greek philosophies and everything like that. Uh, with a modern spin on it, which makes it more accessible to everyone else. So. Yeah, and that's all literature and art. All it is is the human condition and relationships and exploration of all that. That's all it is. And then also being able to speak in the language of the people of the time. And Shakespeare does not speak to me because the language barrier is too much for me. I, you oh, know, I and, and that's where you get the modern day people coming along uh, the Neil Gaiman's of the world, uh, and I, I, I cite him because he grew up in England, therefore was heavily exposed to Shakespeare, and he's able to give me my mythos mm -hmm. in a language I can understand, and he's been brilliant at it. So, um, and those people, those are the kind of people that have made it easy for celebrities, easier for them to come out and let their, fleet, uh, their, their, their freak flag fly. They really, really have. Um, as we've identified that everybody's got a little bit of geek in them and they didn't know. Um, I grew up in a time where literally I had a friend that was one of the cool kids in high school in the seventies. He was the cool dude. Everybody loved him. And he, he'd hang out with me, but secretly because I was the only one he could talk Star Trek with. He was a closet Star Trek fan. And he told me, he goes, I will beat the living daylights out of you if you ever tell anybody about this because it would ruin his cred in, in high school. The jock um, cred or whatever you Yeah. Want. Well, he was like the cool cred. He wasn't a jock, but he was, he was as cool as the jocks without playing a sport. Um, and yet he was my buddy. And he actually really enjoyed hanging out with me because 
I took him, well, literally where no one has gone before. No one took him there before. All of his friends did the same stuff. They might have done the drugs and hung out and drank a lot and the normal stuff. But to grow his mind, he would come hang out with me because I wasn't into all that. I was into the cool stuff about sci-fi, which was mind-growing. It, it allowed you to question your own humanity. And he was a good dude. But, you know, he grew up in a time where it's like it was so important to fit in. Right. And, you know, and me, well, since I didn't already fit in, I wasn't as cool as him. I'm like, all right, well, I might as well be me. Um, and you're right. That's the journey that I have been on. I just had a lot of rage, a lot of delusion. And that's why I was, I guess you never saw me the way you could see me now, which is why my wife's amazing, because this is who she always saw when she met me almost 40 years ago. And she just has this vision where she can see to, I don't know, the, the you behind all the facades you might put up, or I would put up anyway. And I was always amazed. I'm like, what are you doing with me? She goes, what are you talking about? You're amazing. I'm like, I am? I don't think I'm amazing. <laughs> Nobody else thinks I'm amazing. What's wrong with you? you know? <laughs> and turns out she could see me through all my delusions which is pretty unbelievable that a human being has that power. That's like a mutant power. She probably, my wife's probably a mutant. It's probably what she is. Well, we'll have to get Xavier on the phone. Yeah, I think we, we have to figure that out. Well, we're going to take uh, just a couple minutes of a break here, and uh, we will come right back with uh, BJ Shea. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are here again with BJ Shea. And okay, so now we talked about Star Trek. Now, you have been on the Star Trek train for a long time, the wagon train to the stars, if you will. Six years old. And the first episode I saw was Captain Pike in the wheelchair, scared the living daylights out of me. My, my parents said, you're never watching this show again because I had such nightmares. What the hell uh, uh, but it was, I mean, it's, it just caught my eye. They knew they had a little geek on their hands because I never cared about all the other shows they watched. But then here comes Captain Pike all burned. Boop, boop. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? See, and I thought yeah. they did a really good homage to that. I don't know if you've been watching Discovery. Oh, Discovery is a fantastic show. Love that show and love the second season. They treated Captain Pike so wonderfully in that, yeah. in that second season. Anson Mount played him so incredibly well. Yeah, and uh, I would have been pleased. Yeah, I loved I loved Anson Mountain. I dug him. I, I dug him in Hell on Wheels, the Western show that he was a star of, which, by the way, had Colin Meany in there, Chief O'Brien. Oh, nice. Uh, so it's fun to see. Oh, Anson and Chief, and you know, so it's um, yeah, uh, he was really really good. I thought that Rebecca Romaine did a great job as number one, and mm -hmm. and of course, and, and Ethan Peck Ethan Spock, Peck. amazing. Really, really liked his. I, you know, and like everybody else. I mean, yeah, I had a couple of short treks. It was great to see those, but I want a series. I want They're to talking see what about happens. It. They're talking I about a lot of CBS Online has opened up so many different realms for Star Trek that yeah. there is where there's whereas they might have not been able to have a show on the air very long. 
back in the day because you have to have a wide appeal to keep it on the air. With CBS online, they can yeah. throw whatever the hell they want at the wall and see what sticks. Oh, and and the idea that they put as much money into those episodes, and I've heard some of my friends say, oh, I'm not going to pay. Why do I got to pay? It's like, I, I would love gladly membership. pay. I love yeah. that I'll pay. They're going to make Star Trek nice, and, and they're going to give it the same quality as the J.J. movies. Yeah, where do I sign up? I mean, shut up and take my money, which is so – Is I mean, it's like, why is that meme out there for Star Trek? And I I love Discovery. I love Picard. Picard and I, I mean, it's the, I've gotten my money's worth. Plus, I'm currently binging Deep Space Nine. That's on my CBS All Access. Uh, That's my favorite show out of all the Star Treks. It's probably still Deep Space Nine. I got to get back. You know, I have to tell you, I am plowing through the first season. It's difficult. The emissary was great. Until um, season three, it gets really slow. Yeah. Once, once that, the Dominion War hits. Yeah. And when you talk about season three, there's like 24 episodes in a season. You're asking someone to sit through a lot, you know, before they actually get to the good stuff. But uh, it's like a history lesson for me now because it's been a good 25 years since I've seen these episodes. And I surely didn't appreciate the emissary episode, the two-parter with him and the prophets and, and, and the idea of how he was living his life. Uh, I didn't appreciate it then, but boy, I look at it now and go, what a great two-parter. It's one, of the first, it's one of the first Star Trek series that really kind of opened up and hit the ground running uh, without much preamble, without much introduction, without here we just jump right into the life of a man whose life was ruined by events we saw in a previous series and just picks up the pieces and starts up from scratch. And, and I, and I love that, you know, and people complain about that show because they said, cause they did that without Rodmary. He had passed away. Well, this wouldn't be what Rodmary would do. And as much as I love Gene Roddenberry's vision, humans are still going to be humans. I don't care what happens. We're never going to evolve them uh, unless we're able to stamp them out. Uh, we're never going to be evolved beyond our emotions and they're going to affect us. And it's, I mean, of course there was going to be a guy that's not going to want to see Jean-Luc Picard because he was Locutus and killed his family. Uh, you know, there's going to be a guy out there like that. And I thought that Avery Brooks played that so well when, in that first episode where that cold uh, anger. Oh, it's like, yeah. I don't think we've met. Oh, we've met. You know, it's like, <laughs> and then I loved, I love Patrick Stewart's play of the colder Jean-Luc version where he just stops in his tracks and like, Oh, you don't bring that back up. And Oh my God, what, how, who did I kill? You, you, it was so much was said in that British stern thing. Consequence. Which the I loved. After this consequence. Yes, and I watched that recently after seeing the new Vulnerable Picard, which I think Patrick Stewart played brilliantly, and I've had many fights with people as they say, this is not the Picard I remember. I'm like, dude, you have to get old to appreciate what's happening. You're just not old yet. I'm old, let me tell you, you get more vulnerable, you reflect upon the times you could have been kinder or that you could have told somebody you love them. I go, believe me, his portrayal of Picard is fantastic. And uh, loved all the little things they put in that episode, uh, all the episodes of New Picard. And Patrick and the, Stewart's just amazing. Uh, just the, a, what a great actor. Absolutely. And the rumor has it that they're toying around with Jonathan Frakes now, where they oh. might have backdoored him into a new series on CBS as well. Well, who didn't want to see him when he basically traded in the pizza apron for the captain's <laughs> chair? What a great scene. 
where you, you know, and I loved it because that's an older Frakes. And, and, and you know, and I, and I said older Frakes, I should say an older Riker. Because as Patrick Stewart has chilled out, you know, Riker has also become wise. <laughs> and I love that you saw the shift. It's like, and I've seen this in my life with people who were my mentors, that, but I'm now older than them. And there has been a shift in appreciation, respect, and, and, and the fact that Riker had a sort of, if you will, a mentor, a, a mentorship type of role with him during that one pizza episode where I just loved it. It's like, you know, Jean-Luc, it was one thing you've never been. Yeah, you've never been a parent. You got to figure this out. And also, what are you doing? I mean, and yet there's Riker on board that ship in, in the, uh, the penultimate, the last episode, just saying to all going, you know, you could just see it. It's like, you Romulans are such idiots. Your secrecy and your stupidity, my God, I'm tired of it, you know? But he, he stared I, her down. Yeah. He's like, I'm just such a yeah. bravado and a swagger. And it, ang- yeah, yeah, and, and you, yeah, and the anger of you destroyed so many people's lives, as as well as dishonored a crew member I loved by banning all synthetic synthetic life. Which is why I tell all the old like anybody who doesn't like this at these Picard. I'm like, are you insane? <laughs> what great levels of depth went into this? My God, what a great honoring of data, which. You know, we never got to really honor him, but for five seconds. And then a lot of us thought, are they going to try to be cheap and, and have B4 be the new data? And I love that that never I happened. I how they handled that. Oh, so good. So, so good. Um, and I really appreciated even more binge watching it, because, again, for the second time. Because the, the characters then now, I knew the characters. And so they weren't like, who are these interlopers? Who is this Raffi? You know, and who is this Rios? Um, but I was biased towards Allison Pill because I love her anyway, and I've seen her in a lot of stuff. So she had no problem. I was always going to love her. Um, yeah, so good as we're talking Star Trek. I mean, just so, so good. I would watch a series based on Rios as captain. I really would. Yeah, yeah. He's got yeah, a, yeah. some kind of electricity when he's on screen. It's just and, – and, and I love the fact that we not only got to see Rios, but we got to see – Six different sides of Rios. Oh, man. Did you watch any of the the Ready Rooms with Will Wheaton? I watched all of them, yeah. Yeah, well, so I love that Will gave him the highest compliment, basically saying he was very, very much like Orphan Black. And and Tatiana Maslany is, to me, one of the best actors I've seen in a while because of what she did. So high praise that he said, you know, you reminded me a lot of her, and I think you did a good job, and I agree. The the multi-Rios has brought back some Orphan Black happy moments for me. Nice. So, okay, just to kind of put a capper on, on the Star Trek thing, if you were to have to pick, because everybody, the <laughs> conversation's always a Carter Kirk, Carter Kirk, but we've got yeah. such a vast array of captains, if you will, or crews or, or series. Uh, if you were to have to pick uh, your absolute favorite of the, mm. of the crews, who would you put? You mean captain or crews? That's, well, captain first. Captain first. Wow. Um, you know, and I think you got to throw Commander Cisco in there. Was he eventually made a captain? He was. He took over the fight. He was. Okay. He was. Um, 
I haven't watched the full series, so it's you know it's really tough. I've watched a lot more Next Generation like repeat times than I have uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise, and the, and also same thing for the original series. So Kirk and Picard get this unfair weight because I've just watched those so much more. Experience, yeah, yeah, but and so I will say that I will say um, that because I'll pick and it would have been Kirk, but. Picard has had such a better story arc. He's had more episodes to be in movies, um, and he's he's not two dimensional. Kirk's finally got to be three dimensional, in my opinion, uh, when he w- with the movie with uh, with Picard. In, uh, was it insurrection? No, it wasn't insurrection. Yes, the, yeah, generations. Kirk, I got to see more of Kirk, mm-hmm. an updated Kirk, because. Yeah, I mean, it's 50 years ago, and he was pretty cool for the time. But he was but you, much that space cowboy. Yeah, and that's what a leader was. And even then, he still was pretty cool. You, you would imagine a space cowboy who was in the 22nd century that you'd be like, all right, he's actually cooler than any other space cowboy or regular cowboy that I've seen. Um, he's got a bridge of people that he does respect, and he's never and he never really did demean anybody. Um, he was very amazing with the fact that he relied on Spock for a lot, uh, mm-hmm. but he still had to be that strong captain. So I give Kirk a lot of credit for that. But Picard, man, it's hard not to pick him. Unless, of course, I have to go back. Like I said, I'm in the middle of watching Cisco, and I will eventually watch Janeway again. Um, Janeway gets a nod, though, because I have a friend of mine who's a, a, she's literally a rocket scientist, and she was in uh, season two of King of the Nerds. And Kayla LaFrance, who now literally works for NASA, nice. and her love for Janeway and my and I've had a lot of people tell me, women and people of color, it's so important for them to have somebody that looks like them. And so for Kayla, it really impacted her life to see Janeway in command and really be like an authority figure and not just some you know token person. And so I I can imagine that Janeway is probably an amazing captain and I just have to watch her more. Uh, and I go with that because I know Kayla's love for her. Kayla, Kayla recently got to be, I, what was, oh, I guess um, Kate Mulgrew did a private session and said, I'll, I'll have some stuff with people as long as you don't record me. I'll do a Zoom thing with people. And Kayla was lucky enough to be chosen. Uh, and that was a dream come true for her. So I love that Janeway is as important to somebody as Kirk or Picard is to me that just shows you how great Star Trek is. They went every distance they could to let everybody feel inclusive. And I think Discovery just turned over a few of those, uh, if you will, those cultural rocks that weren't turned over in the previous iterations of Star Trek so that even more people could feel like they were connected. Absolutely. And, and I uh, think that's Roddenberry's yeah. dream overall. Oh, yeah. It was a society that is free from uh, the bullshit that we have to face with uh, racism and sexism and, and all of the different phobias and yeah, uh, transphobia, homophobia, things like that. Um, Gene Roddenberry, I think, would be very much in line with wanting to live in a world where none of that mattered. I mean, you could be a captain no matter who you are. You could be anything truly that you wanted to be, which is, I think, part of the reason that I always gravitated towards Star Trek as well is just because openness and inclusivity and everything like that is just... it's It's more important than people understand. I mean, yeah. pretty important. And it's getting a lot of, 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 of uh, credence these days, 
but it's really it's a lot more important than even that you know what i mean i i feel like if 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 gene roddenberry was alive and he was in his 30s and 40s today this is that's the show he'd make he would make discovery he would make picard and when people say this isn't the show gene would make I'm like you can't say that you don't know what he would be like as a young man during this time as a young man during the 60s the show he made was so against the grain and George Decay talks about how he did ask for a gay character. And Gene said, George, I would love to do it, but the network barely is letting me get away with a guy with pointy ears. He's like, they just won't do it. And Gene was right. They just wouldn't do it. In the 60s, they just weren't ready for that. Um, and, and George appreciated the fact that at least there was a conversation about it back in the original Star Trek. Right. Uh, and, I, and I think, yeah, today Gene would make what Discovery is today. I think the people Absolutely. we see on that show. And Tig Natero, oh my God, her engineer on Discovery. <laughs> I so much love her. It's like, I want she's more of her. so dry and so perfect. Oh, she's super talented anyway, but just what a great role. And um, again, I like what that she a great... Was put there to, she was put there to put uh, Stamets in his place. And Stamets was already oh. that, that just kind of crass, jerky kind of dude at first. Yeah, and, and, and I, I, and I love that. To have someone to be able to put the hammer down on him. Oh, and, he, and she, can, she can put the hammer down on anybody, which is so fantastic. I love the, you just love the story arcs of Saru and Stamets. Uh, and I just, my gosh, what, a, what, a, it's just really, really in depth stuff that you couldn't do in the 60s. People just weren't ready for that kind of in depth uh, psychological journey. I, I, my, my son complains because he was raised on Next Gen and Deep Space Nine, he misses all the science. And I laugh and think, yeah, science isn't what we're into right now. We're really into the, or, or we're into behavioral science. And mm -hmm. that's maybe my son is sort of like, oh, but it's not what I remember. Uh, and I can appreciate that because, you know, if you watch Deep Space Nine, all the, the science mumbo jumbo they throw out in every episode as they're pressing random lights. Uh, I mean, I smile and think, oh, yeah, this is, you just couldn't do that today. It just wouldn't work today. It worked then. But what they're doing today is exactly as powerful and works as well as, as, as Next Gen did all those years ago and OG even before. I agree completely. So we're going to take one more quick pause for the cause. We're going to throw another crass commercial announcement out there. And uh, then we will be back and uh, talk just a little bit more with BJ Shea. We'll be right back. Voting isn't just going to the polls on election day. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Democracy works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout. How to Vote is easy to use and helps folks from all over the country overcome many of the process barriers to voting. Democracy Works is committed to helping you vote no matter what. You can sign up for election reminders, see what's on your ballot, get step-by-step -step assistance requesting your mailing ballot, explore your options for returning your voted mail ballot, check your voter registration status, find your polling site, and make sure you have the appropriate ID. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. All right, welcome back. And uh, so, now we've talked about Star Trek. We've talked about 
kind of uh, your background in, in, in nerdery and geekery. Now, one of the things you touched on that I thought was really, really neat was uh, Kickstarter. Yes. You use Kickstarter to back a bunch of uh, independent board games. And I, I know I've followed you for a lot of years. I've seen the ones that you, that you back, and I've seen the, the passion and the drive that you have for these projects. Um, what would you say is uh, the best Kickstarter investment that you've uh, well, currently, I will tell you, it's my board game table, uh, <laughs> just because I'm loving it so much. And I actually do think it's a great investment. Um, and, and I met, it's funny, I, I, I don't like to give too much money. Like if somebody says, hey, listen, you got to give me $500 or $1,000 for, for a product on Kickstarter. I'm like, eh, I don't know, because if you just flake out, I'm out that money. Yeah, I mean, there's, because I, I, that's the problem is Kickstarter is not going to help me get it back. And I've had a couple of games. And, I mean, granted, when it's a $20, $30 game, it's not a big deal. But you're telling me to spend, you know, three to four figures. Wait a second. So I had seen game toppers before, but I thought, I don't care how good anybody says this is. I'm not going to – I'm just not going to take the chance. Um, but we – with our podcast, we started being able to go and cover certain conventions. And so Penny Arcade – Penny Arcade Expo, PAX Unplugged, which is a great board game convention. We did that in Philadelphia, and that's where um, I got to meet Berkey from uh, Game Toppers. And, well, they were right there. I mean, so I got to, all right, let me check these out. And this was version 2.0, so I'm realizing that, all right, you've already done a bunch, and people seem to like it, so let me see what's up. And, man, I fell in love with these bad boys. Uh, they, uh, As a matter of fact, um, you know, if you uh, hey, let's do let's just do, uh, do some pictures here. Uh, so there, there, there's the there's the game topper right there, and it goes right on top of, uh, of any dining room table, and it's so easy to put together. Literally, these two pieces put it together, tighten up a couple of little slider bolts which are on there just to keep it together, and boom, you got your game topper. It can be a pre mats. So yeah, that's the answer right now. There would have been a different answer probably six months ago, but. I have to say, because that thing is going to be with me for a long time and making my board game play so much more pleasurable, interchangeable mats so that I can have different backgrounds for the top of the game. Um, oh, they're just taking my money. Everybody's taking my money. <laughs> That's what it is. So uh, you do play a lot of uh, – is it a specific type of game? Because I've, I've seen you play – I've seen you play card games. I've seen you play board yeah. games. I've seen you played uh, uh, a lot of Magic the Gathering. and Yeah, like yeah. And that's what I did between video games and, uh, well, it was actually during video game time too. Before I got into board games, I was heavily into Magic the Gathering. My son and I did a lot of traveling around the country for tournaments. He loved that game. So it was a great daddy and uh, son moment to do in our lives and, try and do stuff. Uh, and he was really good at the game. I, was, oh, I could play it. Yeah, but you know, he was really good at it. Right. Um, so yeah, I play everything. Board games are so amazing now uh, that as far as you know, production and quality and Kickstarter has really enabled that. And of course I, you know, I, I took a, a little poke fun at Sandy Peterson cause he's got all my money, but Sandy, the guy, Sandy created the video game doom and a lot of other great games. And um, he just wanted to make a board game that was just over the top and great production one that he would want to play himself, and he's a big fan of the Cthulhu, the, you know, the Cthulhu universe. Uh, he didn't expect this company to be a company. He thought, oh, I'm going to make it. Maybe I'll lose money, but I don't care. I'll finally make a game that I want. But the response was like, yeah, we like this. Your, your minis are amazing. The components are amazing. 
And so that's what he does, and he gets a lot of my money. Um, I love, but I'm a sucker for a space game. I'll play any space game. Um, my friend, but I also will play games like we, our friend game group, they are, they're so varied in what they love that we get to play a lot of different games. And we only, I'll tell you, I mean, we play like a game once we get, it's, it's sort of like, it's like an addiction. We can't wait to open the box, punch out all the stuff, get the game to the table. We play the game and it's not that we don't like it. It's just been that there's another new game to play. And between all of us, everybody has their own style of game that they like so that every genre gets hit. And I'm the space guy. Um, you know, I, I probably, that's the only thing that I will really spend a lot of money on and love a lot. Um, my buddy Josh is as well, uh, but he also likes Western theme games. But there's so many good ones out there, and you don't need a game company anymore. You know, you can be your own game company, or you can be a, a you know, a medium size to large size game company like your Stone Myers and your AEGs and your Commands, and still you go through Kickstarter rather than having to be as big as Hasbro to have the money to produce stuff. Right. Um, uh, you know, Stronghold, the game companies like that. But it's so the business has grown so much thanks to. Really, thanks to Tom Vassell and Dice Tower and Rodney Smith at Watch It Played and Rado. Uh, those, I would say those are the big, there have been many more. I know Man vs. Meeple and the Game Boy Geek. Those guys are out there too. But really, the big three who I think have made the industry what it is, um, is, uh, is because of the love they had for it. And they decided to do videos. And that, that made the industry so much better and still does. Uh, still, and so I have a lot of gratitude towards those guys and what they do. One of my favorite games, uh, when I first moved to the Pacific Northwest, I was introduced to Steve Jackson games. Yes. And, uh, before there was Munchkin and before there was any of those other types of games, they had a, a genre of games called cheap ass games. Yes. Cheap ass. Yeah. And oh yeah. For any of you who don't know what cheap ass games are, cheap ass games came in a, a little white envelope, uh, printed envelope with the name of the game on it. And in fact, one of my absolute favorites I still have to this day is, uh, it's like a reverse game of Clue. It's called Kill Dr. Lucky. If you have one of the original ones, that's a pretty valuable score there because those are hard to find. And, I don't know, uh, yeah. but it's, yeah. Been, it's been in yeah. my collection for a lot of years. Yeah, Kill Dr. Lucky is, is legit. Yeah. So, okay, I'm, I'm sure people ask you all the time what your favorite game is and everything, and, uh, I mean, and that's, that's easy enough to answer, but I want to know what your least favorite game is. I will say what my least favorite genre is um, because when I, even when I say it's a least favorite game, like a lot of these games are amazing. They're just not for me. Right. Um, I, I am not a co-op person. And so there are so many great cooperative games out there. And I'll just throw the biggest one out there, especially with the, what we're in right now, Pandemic. And, and yeah. it, was one of the, it was one of the games that I was introduced early. I actually went out and bought a lot of them. Uh, I really thought the game was well done. Matt Leacock did a great job with that game. And I realized after playing it a few times, I don't like cooperative games, uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of, if you will, role-playing games anymore. And uh, I, But I'll play games because, look, I want to experience them, especially since I kind of do, you know, I do the podcast and review them. and not review them, but at least talk about them. So I, I don't want to be that guy going, ah, I'm not going to do that and just judge a game. But even RPGs and co-op games are tough for me because – I tend to play them as a, like, we're all a team, and not everybody does. And it's like, well, if I'm going to play versus somebody, 
then I want to play a game that's versus somebody. I'm going to right off the bat, I'm very black and white about that. So Gloomhaven, which is probably one of the best board games to come out in the RPG world, uh, it, it, it suffered from the same problem for me, which is it's a co-op game and it's an RPG game. And I just don't like those games because again, you got the people where you go, aren't we a team? Well, no, I'm going to go do this. It's like, wow, you just F everybody over. It's like being and, back in school and having that group project where nobody else is doing the work. Yeah, so, uh, but some people still just love it. Um, and there's a lot of things to love about those games. But for me, it's my least favorite genre. I may have gotten into a few arguments. Uh, there was one game, a beautiful game called The Others. Uh, just a fantastic game with great minis. But I was playing with people, and so it's a one versus many. I was playing with some people that just were doing some really bad things strategically and it just i sat there i thought why am i playing this game we're not gonna we have no chance i'm just rolling dice and these other people are doing what they're doing and i realized the problem was with me i was like no it's you you just don't like this yeah. you either have to be on your own team or the team has to really be a team um so i begrudgingly will play co-op games my friend josh loves them and he's a great guy, and he's one of those guys that will play any game because he knows you like it. And I'm like, all right, I can be that. I don't. I shouldn't just play games that I like. I want it's a social thing. So um, I will play at least once almost any game. I have another friend of mine too. Eric is the same way. He loves role playing games and he loves dungeon crawls. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, but again, they're good dudes, and they always play what I like. So I think, well, you know, if I'm a good friend, you know, sure, let me play your game and, and see it through your eyes and. I'm glad that I do, but I, they're my least favorite role-playing or co-op games, yeah. Yeah, I find myself uh, very much in that same vein when I play video games, is a lot of the games geared towards online play and, and team-based play and mm. you know, the Counter-Strikes and the Call of Duties and, yeah. and things like that. And I just, I don't, I don't jive with it. It's not my thing. Well, I was raised in single-player campaign games. When I was told some of the video games didn't even have single-player campaigns anymore, I was like, what? Why? You got to be online? Why? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm doing this myself. You know, Leisure Suit Larry didn't have a bunch of people with him trying to get the ladies. Why, why, what? Uh, you know, so, absolutely the worst multiplayer. Uh, uh, I know. You, yeah, because you know what? It would have been like real life. Everybody would have got the ladies and I got nobody yet. That would have been just like real life. <laughs> it wouldn't be, it'd be less of a game and more of a chat room. Be called Leisure Suit Larry IRL BJ. Really what it would be. Um, but I forgot about all those great games by Sierra, too. Salisa Suit Larry, uh, Space Quest, and, you know, uh, King's Quest. Yeah. Um, but see, I was, that, that was, those are the games I loved anyway, which weren't, like, so much where you had to be really dexterous. You know, Doom was probably the only one where I, I played it, and I played at the easiest level possible so I could get through it. You know, I didn't know how to strafe with a mouse. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, yeah. So I, board games, it's kind of the same thing. It's like I like playing against somebody, but if I can do my own thing and if it's asymmetrical, even the better, which is why I love Twilight Imperium, 17 different asymmetrical factions. Uh, also, there's a lot of negotiations. If you play it, I think the way, well, if you play it the way the, the, the people intended it to play, the creators really want Twilight Imperium to play like a role-playing game. There's a lot of people who just play it as a math game and they don't like playing the way I play and I don't like playing the way they play, which is the beautiful thing about America. Um, but people go, how do you play 12 hour games of twilight Imperium? They should only be six hours. And I'm like, I get why you only play six hours with me. You would either kill me or flip the table because 
it is literally a political game disguised as a, a strategy action game. Um, and I, I, I love that game, and I love a game called The Resistance, which is a social deduction game. Even though you didn't ask me my two favorites, those are my two favorites. One's a space game, and one is a social deduction game that we play for hours. And uh, Stephen Bonacore from Stronghold Games, <laughs> I, say, he, I told him, I said, look, they told me I should tell you how long it takes to play The Resistance. And he goes, what do you mean how long it takes to play? It takes, wait, what do you pay, 25, 45 minutes at most. And I'm like, we play for like four hours. And he looked at me, and I love Stephen Bonacore because he's a Northeasterner like myself. And he just, you know, it just, when he knows he's talking to a Northeasterner, he doesn't have to worry about uh, all social protocols. You know, he knows he can talk to me like one of the boys. What is wrong with you? That was the first thing I was <laughs> And I'm saying, Stephen, I'm telling you what's right with me. We're playing the game right. Everybody else is playing it wrong. He goes, no, 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 no. Four hours for that. No. You know, and, um, but again, we play at a level that's uh, insane. And I love that I have a game group that's like ready to do it. It's, that's the great thing. It's like, hey, if you've got people that want to play a game and you're all agreeing that this is how long it should be and you're all having a good time, that's great. I've just found a bunch of crazy people. And I'm happy that I have because... <laughs> You know, we'll be have screaming matches and yelling matches. And, um, you know, we've, we've convinced the good folks at Zulu's Board Game Cafe in Bothell, do you mind if we stay until 1, 2 in the morning? And then they go, why? And go, well, come play. We'll show you. And next thing you know, they're out of their minds like, why did you do this? I'm loving this game, but I'm hating this game. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot of passion that we, we bring to it, which is how we start this whole conversation. Exactly. Yeah. One more thing I really briefly wanted to touch on is, yeah, in, in, during this whole quarantine process and this whole social distancing process, uh, I realize your hobby in particular um, yeah. is a lot harder to accomplish. Uh, now, have you found any kind of way around that social distancing or how are you coping with that? Well, for the games itself, to like play games, I'm lucky that my daughter, her boyfriend, and my son like to play games and, um, and different kinds of games. So I get to actually play the games themselves in person with the people I'm living with. So that works out well. Um, but my friends, who I miss a lot, and we have, become, we have become such a good group of friends. We travel to cons together all over the country. Mm-hmm. So that you know, people look at us and go, really? Like all eight, all eight or 10 or 15 of you all took the trip together? We've really become a close-knit group. And that's been tough, uh, especially for some of us who haven't been able to join. But luckily, uh, we have uh, uh, my buddy Spencer, who hosts Late Night Tabletop, Tabletop on Twitch, the Late Night Tabletop channel. He's, um, he's put together the Jack TV, if you've ever heard of that, um, and, and their, their online games. The, old, the, the company used to, that made You Don't Know Jack. I remember it, yeah. Now they have a whole bunch of different game packs with multiple games with really cool graphics. And if you use Discord or Zoom or something like that, you can talk with each other while going online and playing these same games in the same room. So you can play games together. Up to eight to ten people can play together. So we get to chat while playing these games, and yeah, they're not as heavy as um, the board games we play, but they're still games we get to play. Yeah. I know other people like Tabletopia and other game simulators where you can play games online, and they look amazing. Um, I haven't done that yet, uh, because for me, I like being with my buddies, and a lot, you know, a lot of games, you know, they, they, no, matter, no matter what games you play, they'll play four, five, maybe six players. So for us, it's like we have eight to ten of us. We really want to all play together. Um, so we end up, you know, doing Jack TV. So that helps. So I've been really fortunate. My, my buddy 
said to me, he says, I can't wait to play games with adults again. He has children. <laughs> They're younger. He's got a lot of cool games he gets to play with them, but he misses his buddies. He's like, I play games every weekend, but, you know, it's the kids. And, you know, they, they won't be playing Twilight Imperium soon. I mean, that's for sure, you know. Um, yeah, so that's how, that's how I've been getting around it. And I'm really fortunate that my, that my family actually likes to play board games. Otherwise, I'd be, I'd be like, yeah. Be I'd be that, yeah. Well, uh, did, is there anything else you wanted to kind of throw out there before we kind of wrap it up? Well, it depends how much time do we have. Because um, I get to say, I can tell you everything I know about. No. Um, well, I, I, I like that um, we were sp speaking before about, you know, just really doing, you know, when, you, when going online and doing a show or doing any presentation, doing something positive. Um, it's a high, high anxiety time. Any behavioral scientist will tell you that everybody, everybody is in a high state of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that state, you're just going to trip. You're going to flip out. So any argument, any disagreement, anything that irritates, anything at all is happening because I'm in a high state of anxiety. I wouldn't be bothered by half the stuff that I'm bothered by now because of what, what I'm going through, which is what everybody's going through. So the idea that we're doing something that is inclusive, we're not really talking divisively, uh, which, you know, is, is sad that we're doing anyway because I think what's great about America is when we all get together and go, how can we compromise and get something done? Uh, you know, and, and what can we agree on? And that languaging doesn't happen on social network a whole lot. Uh, it, it is with the, I will say the coronavirus has had more people decide they really want to find that and even want to be part of that. But the idea that somebody can have a completely different philosophy than me and we can get along seems to be lost on people. And it's like, well, of course we can get along. I mean, that's what America is. America has been about everybody from everywhere coming from different places and different belief systems and all having to figure it out because that's what we wanted. We're the people that ran away from harsh thinking of all those other countries in the first place. That's what America was. So it's, it's in our, it's in our bones. You know, we are a people of compromise and get alongery. You know, we are that. Uh, and I, the only thing I get angry at is if anybody who's supposedly in power tries to divide us, Mm -hmm. That I get mad at. I get mad at like a son of a bee. And man, I'm like, no, dude, you, that's not helpful. Or, or any languaging that makes any human being less than another human being. And uh, man, that's, that I get mad at and go, I know what you're doing. And we determined a long time ago that that's wrong. Humans, no matter who they be, no matter how much they make, no matter what they believe, no matter where they live, Human beings are awesome, and let's not forget that, every human being. So that's all I would say. I can't, I can't think of a better way to leave it off then. BJ, I want to thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast today. And uh, My pleasure. I want to thank everybody for listening in again for the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. Uh, stick around. We've got a couple more great episodes we're going to be filming this week alone, and uh, we are going to be making our premiere on Seattle Wave Radio. Uh, very, nice. very shortly. So uh, if you want to look for our episodes, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom, or you can go to our anchor page, anchor.fm forward slash fuel your fandom. And like I always try to remind everybody, first of all, take care of yourself, take care of those around you. And for God's sake, stay home, follow the rules uh, so we can get this over with.
Um, but as I like to remind everybody, everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Thank you.